You are listening to the Tour des Flâneurs, the cycling podcast at the 2021 Tour de France, powered by Super Sapiens. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Stage 6, today we are in Châteauroux. That was absolutely beautiful. And uh, <laughs> tinkling the ivories there was—is that what you say, tinkling or tickling? Tickling. tickling sorry. Mm. Sorry. It's tickling. Tickling the ivories was uh, Francois Thomaso. Francois, well, that was lovely. No, I haven't played the piano for twenty years, but I know it works. You just got sat straight down and got on with it. You're like—I mean—the old muscle memory. You're like the Mark Cavendish of piano playing. <laughs> haven't done it for years, and then you just yeah. I, I need a little bit of practice to uh, you know to be a winner. But yeah, I, I know I'd, I know I would I, I would keep all the works. You know, so. the, the principles. My name is Shamura. I'm with Francois Tomaso. Hi there. And Kate Wagner. Hello. And uh, this this well 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 maybe play out with a uh, we've got a little birthday montage for Lionel Burney it's his birthday we will hear from Lionel in this episode and we'll maybe sing out Kate we discovered has got a beautiful singing voice we discovered last night so maybe she'll lead that at the end um, but it's not all about Lionel's birthday today <laughs> um, it's also about uh, another uh, history making performance from Mark Cavendish who's inching closer to, and just looking at the roadbook and the sprint stages that remain in this year's race, quite a few, he could beat Eddie Merckx's record. No, I mean, Mark, if you're listening, you haven't heard anything. He could <laughs> win 34 stages, which is just a, a random number. It doesn't mean anything at all. Um, but I wonder, I mean, listen, we'll, we'll get on to this, but how will Eddie Merckx be feeling, seriously? Uh, do you think it's something... He's sweating, he'd be bothered. I mean, he's won quite a lot, Eddie Merckx, in his career. Is this something that will mean a lot to him? Would he be disappointed for it to lose it? I don't think so. I mean, he, he still holds so many records anyway, you know. And, of course, this is an important this is an important one. But, I mean, I'm sure he'll have many excuses saying his, his career has been shorter. He, he won... He, he won time trials, He won course. time trials, he won mountain stages, he won, he won different types of, uh, of stages. So, he, he, you know, and, you know, Okay, let's face it. I can say now. I've said said it already. Mark Cavendish now is undisputedly, I think, the best sprinter of all time. Oh yeah, it, it, it is good enough, you know. Yeah. And and, and is simply the best rider of all time. So I mean, they can, you know, it's good. They're it's you know they're, they're both they're good company. Yeah, apples and pears. Hmm. Another curious little statistic is we began today in Tour, and famously, the one race that Eddie Merckx never won was Paris Tour. So there we go. But this was the third time that Mark Cavendish has won in Châteauroux. And one of the little quirks today was that he won with exactly the same victory gesture as in 2008. I mean, that was not an accident, was it? Absolutely not. Do you think he was on YouTube last night, just uh, maybe even practicing in front of the mirror? The thing I love about Mark Cavendish is that he's got a flair for the theatrical and a flair for, for narrative and the crafting of his own image whether it's as like a bad boy, whether it's as a tragic figure, whether it's as a great teammate, he's very clever and he's 
He's very, he's a very good, I wouldn't say an actor, but he's a very good version of himself. Quite a good bite rider as well. Uh, well, will we do the tale of the attack? It's a hard act to follow this. I mean, Kate delivered this last night, and I, I would say Kate performed this last night. Lots of messages today about your tale of the attack. Mitch Docker was listening. He was impressed. Um, you were going to do it again, but at some point you... Uh, Handed the baton back over to me. I'm not. I'm not quite sure what happened. I would like to just do it tomorrow because I. I think. Uh, I think you're really good at talking about Cav, and. I, <laughs> I, I think he would disagree with that. Okay. Well, you know, I don't know if Cav knows who I am, who I am yet, uh, but uh, if he does, then okay. But yeah, so I. I think tomorrow's going to be crazy because it's, it's so long and. Uh, I already heard some stirrings in the uh, mix zone about uh, GC guys pulling their writers out of the breakaway. Uh, like Edith Skelling was saying that he wasn't going to be in the breakaway tomorrow because he's going to be working for Wilco Kelderman. We'll see, huh? Bring Me Wilco Kelderman is the title of Kilometer Zero today, which was Kate's first installment of Kate's three-part diary of covering her first Tour de France. It's a great listen. It's had some great feedback uh, from just, people just who've a, been a able quick to listen. Run. I mean, t- tomorrow will be the longest stage in the Tour de France for 20 years. So so your tale of the etap tomorrow might be the longest tale of the etap for 20 years. Well, today was... My, it might. It might. And that will be Kate. <laughs> Today's stage was much shorter. A very short stage. 150 kilometers from Tour to Chateauroux. Um, one climb, but a, a flat stage, a sprinter stage. And given that tomorrow is, uh, uh, you know, classics length and classics terrain, um, we were surprised by the makeup of the early group. But the first rider to attack was somebody that I spoke to at the start this morning, Oliver Nason of AG2R Citroen. Um, well, here's what he said at the start. How's your tour going? Uh, for, so far, so good. It's been uh, mainly flat. So, so far, we've been in energy save mode, more or less, without crashing. That's already a, a victory in itself. I think you're the only... Right on the team who hasn't crashed. Yeah, yeah, that's unbelievable. <laughs> and tomorrow, is that a day that you like the look of? Uh, yes, uh, uh, all mere mortals should aim stages like the one of tomorrow, and uh, that's also what's going to happen. Some, some stages, like probably also today, you will have a breakaway that goes away at kilometre zero, where there's hardly any interest to, to be in there, and then tomorrow, very likely that we go until kilometre 80, 90, 100, like attack after attack, to finally... Uh, bridge clear in a, in a small village with smaller roads or something where they f- can finally close the roads but uh, yeah everybody will everybody will go first something I like your description of yourself as a mere mortal that's what it is uh. <laughs> all relative Oliver Nason uh, the only AG2R rider not to have crashed and uh, he fancies it tomorrow and yet there he was up the road today and um, his teammate Greg Van Avermaet was one of the next riders in the the break that formed of very very strong riders and when we heard about this group forming at three kilometers uh, eight riders uh, van avermaet Jonas ricard of alpson fenix um casper askreen de koenig quickset tom squeenge of trek segafredo niels pollitt of boris uh, hansgrohe soren Crow anderson of team dsm thomas de ghent of lotus sudal and george zimmerman of antarmarche wanted gobert we thought wow that is a seriously strong group uh, to form on a stage like this Groupama FDG chased very hard indeed. They had Stefan Kuhn and others on the front bringing it to heel. But Van Avermaet went on alone at 31 kilometres. He was joined 10 kilometres later by Roger Kluge of Lotus Sudal, a team that's had to reinvent itself because they've lost Caleb Ewan, their sprinter. They only ever had two minutes. And, you know, Kluge and, and Van Avermaet, both very, very strong riders indeed. Um, and dangerous, you know, even, even on a 
day like today that wasn't too challenging in terms of the, the terrain. Really dangerous riders to be out front alone. Um, and we'll hear Roger Kluger talk a bit later about how you play it when you're in that situation. But they were, yeah, they were kept on a pretty tight leash. We saw a lot of uh, Tim de Klerk, as per usual, on the front, and Alperson Fenix really taking responsibility as well. Not not just uh, because they're, they've got the yellow jersey with Matthew van der Poel, but because they've got two great sprinters in Jasper Phillips and Termelier. We were curious as to who would be the protected one, and it was, once again, Philipson, surprisingly, because Tim Merlier has won a sprint stage, of course, but he was the lead-out man today. But the two up front were caught uh, just two and a half kilometres from the end, and at that point, Julian Alaphilippe was taking uh, control at the front. The world champion bringing them back and, and really stringing it out. Uh, big, long straight for the sprint, one that obviously Cavendish knows very well. And the Koenig Quickset really were in charge until Matthew van der Poel took it on and went up the right-hand side of the road. So we had sort of two lead-out trains. They merged together, about 350 metres to go, and Mark Cavendish, at that point, switched from Michael Morkov, his usual lead-out man, to Jasper Philipson's wheel, and that, well, in doing so, that I mean, he played a blinder there, really, because Tim Merlier gave Philipson a fantastic lead-out. Uh, and really, it was Cavendish who was able to capitalise on that. He came round Merlier, um, deviated from his line a little bit. Merlier had to break. Um, Buhani was coming fast again. And, you know, it's one of the untold stories of this tour, the rebirth of, never mind Mark Cavendish, but Nasser Buhani um, has been fantastic. Second the other day, third today, but Cavendish a clear winner, ahead of Philipson. Buhani, Demar, Sagan, Ball, Merlier, Van Aert. Um, so a, a very convincing win for Mark Cavendish, the 32nd of his career. The cycling podcast at the 2021 Tour de France, powered by Super Sapiens. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insight, and personalized analytics. We are here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. I'm Elise Chabet and I'm uh, racing for Canyons from Racing. I was really surprised how the body react to particularly to intervals training because like when you do hard intervals you really see the glucose level like really peaking quite high and uh, so that means that uh, the body is reacting well to to the effort and is like releasing the the glucose in in the blood and for the muscles so yeah that was actually quite interesting to see that like also when you come back from a long ride or from a from an interval ride to see that the glucose level is really dropping if you don't eat like a recovery shake or like something just after so yeah we can really see that it's really important to fit just after just after the effort i was quite surprised yeah because we we trained in altitude now and compared to when i train like in sea level like uh, i can see that my body needs more like food and needs more like also glucose like to to achieve the the good training so that i i could really see also with the super sapiens to see that uh, yeah i need to eat more to have the same glucose level yeah also like for example in the morning you also see that when i wake up i have also a peak like before even having breakfast and that shows that my cortisol level is also working so yeah i mean that's also interesting to see that yeah, the hormones have a like high impact on the glucose level. 
Thank you very much indeed to Super Sapiens, our title sponsor. And if you would like to enter our competition that we're running in conjunction with Super Sapiens to win three months' worth of Super Sapiens sensors, go to thecyclingpodcast.com. All you need to do is uh, record 60 seconds or less of audio telling us how and why you would use Super Sapiens uh, to maybe achieve your cycling goal. It could be a, a big ambition or a small ambition, but send us an audio clip and tell us how you would use it. Go to thecyclingpodcast.com. Mark Cavendish. What can you say? I said that a couple of nights ago that I just did not see this coming, but it is like turning back time. I mean, he looks, and we'll hear from Michael Morkov in a, in a moment, his lead-out man who's led out lots of great sprinters. You know, he looks as good as he's ever been, Cavendish, after several years really in the wilderness. I mean, Kate just mentioned, you know, at the start of this episode that, you know, he knows what he's doing. He's a clever guy. He, he probably uh, checked the the road book and check the YouTube videos of his first, you know, two first two wins in Chateau. It showed because in the press conference today, uh, uh, it was asked repeatedly about, obviously, about the previous wins in Chateau. And and first he said, ah, you know, I don't want, I don't want that to be romanticized. I, uh, it was just another sprint. And afterwards, he he, he came back a little bit uh, on that, but not to say he, he had any kind of nostalgia or or he saw it as a, as a carbon copy of, of what he'd done before and, and like, you know, turning back the time and everything. He just said, you know, Chateauroux, it's funny when you think about it, he said, it's just, he said, you know, Chateauroux is, is, is like Bordeaux, Paris. It's one of the big towns for sprinters on the Tour de France. And he said, I, I, I watched uh, uh, Mario Cipollini win in, uh, in Chateauroux in 1998. I mean, there, there were only four stages in Chateauroux uh, ever. So uh, for a big town, <laughs> sprinting town in the Tour de France, four finishes is not that much. And in this, in these four finishes, he won three. So now it's probably become a, a kind of a capital of a sprint on the Tour de France. But, but you know, you see what I mean. Actually, he acknowledges the fact that he is the 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 sprinter of the Tour de, de, de France, probably more than André Garigard or whoever. Uh, was before Freddie Martins or wh- whoever could have been, you know, contender in the past. But just by saying that, even though he, he seems reluctant to, to, to speak about records and everything, but he, he obviously puts himself in the big history of the tour by saying this, a thing like that. Does he have the freedom of Chateruna? Can he drive a flock of sheep through the <laughs> through the town centre? I mean, what do we make of this, this um, point that he keeps making that, it's that each stage win is sort of stands on its own and, and should be celebrated on its own without being part of a, a, a bigger, wider, more sweeping narrative. Yeah. This is this is the point he keeps making. And yet that victory celebration today was clearly a, re- a reference sure. to his be, previous be, one. Before, before letting, uh, you know, Kate speak about it and say what she means. I mean, because he's good, Cavendish. Uh, he, he, he answered to your question in many ways by saying that this year, he was talking about the about the uh, uh, the speed, uh, you know, uh, in in the in the sprint today, and and the, the the difference in the gears and everything. And he said, you know, you can't compare to to uh, this to 2008. In 2008, all the, most of the sprinters were on 52, you know, by 11 uh, on their bikes. Now they're all 54 or 55, and and the trains are much better organized. And said, and there's the old generation of 
of young sprinters going very very fast and you only regretted that uh, Caleb Ewan is not is not around anymore but what it meant is you know it was in a way it was easier in in 2008 you know the the guys were were, were you know not, not as well organized the, the speeds were not as high in, implying you know well I, i've stayed in touch with that with, with with that field and uh, at, at 36 I, i'm still in it which which makes it even more what it what it meant i guess is you have to keep up with the with the times. We have to keep every new victory is different because you know the the, the peloton evolves, the sport evolves, and and is is moved on with the with the trend. That's without. That's the most astonishing thing for me. The the Cavendish today would have beaten the Cavendish of two thousand and eight, and partly that is equipment and clothing and everything. Dan Lloyd was talking about this a bit today on Eurosport GCN. Um, how you know if you if you look at the picture, the pictures from today and the pictures from two thousand eight. It does. It looks like a different sport. The clothing's changed. The bikes have changed. You can wa- see by watching Cavendish, he's pushing a bigger gear. He's that's a, a phenomenon of of sprinters that they tend to be um, less quick and and more powerful. And the strength is the thing that that goes last. You know, the speed maybe dims a bit, but the strength kind of can stay with you. And the, the amazing thing, he's not he's not just you know kept with the times. He's still he's still at the top and. As I say, we'll hear from Morkov about you know where uh, the the 2021 Cavendish uh, would compare with other great sprinters, including previous versions of Cavendish. I think what's something that's so wonderful about cycling as a sport is that it happens at all narrative scales. I think what Cav says about you know the one Tour de France win is is enough, and it's and it's its own thing. I think there is something to that. I think that you know when you you can look at cycling in so many different ways. I mean. There's you can have one instance that is completely transformative, and then when you can build it into these larger and larger narratives, whether it's in the form of like a climb in a single stage, or I guess you know the intermediate sprint in a sprint stage or whatever, uh, then you can build it up to like an entire race, and then you can build it up to you know an entire year, and then you know a decade, and then a career. I mean, it's just fascinating to me that I mean the thing that's so great about Cav and about his trajectory is that he spans literally three decades. And so you can go like to the minute level of just today to read Cav, to read what he does, to read his emotions, to read, you know, his interviews, etc. And you can just continually zoom out to this like really amazing story. And so I think that, that that's one of the reasons why he's so beloved is because he works at all these different narrative scales, which all great characters do. And he is a great character. I mean, <laughs> yeah. there's a joke among us, you know, who's going to ask the... The Merck's question in the press conference. And actually, Kate's been nominated for that. Yeah, well, I volunteered uh, for the next time. For the next time. Well, our friend Seth Piquet, you know, felt obliged to ask the question yeah. on, on TV yeah. again. I think he managed to ask it without saying Merck's name. <laughs> that, that's the thing. that Now, you know, the, for the 33rd... He who can't be yeah, named. I mean, yeah, for the 33rd, what, what is going to be the question? Will we know? be allowed to talk about it with Mark when he, if he does break the record and he does hold it? Will it be allowed to be mentioned? Yeah, of course it will be, because then it's like his big triumph, this bugbear that's been on his back forever. I find it fascinating. I really do. I mean, he's always been fascinating and i find 
his whole demeanor at this tour fascinating. Well, what is the problem? I mean, I can't really understand what the, the pro- well. I, I know what he says, like you know, winning uh, one Tour de the, the France stages. Uh, you know, I've done thirty-two Tour de France. I haven't won a stage every year. <laughs> Whose record are you going for, Francois? Are we allowed? To, well, allowed no, oh, I mean, we're not allowed to talk about it. I mean, I'm it's, sorry. it's 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 unbeatable. Well, our friend Jeff Kinney, uh, you know, covered fifty-six Grand Tours, and uh, there's a fr- friend, you know, there's a kilometer zero about him. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Tomorrow, yeah. But no, I mean, there's a guy called uh, um, Ogendre uh, who was uh, covering the tour in the old days for Frédéric Ogendre for the, uh, uh, for the, um, yeah, for L'Equipe and other, other media. I think he, he, he did well, nearly 50 tours, so I'm, I'm, I'm not in, in contention for that. I was wondering, is it the word, is it Merckx? You know, the, 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 is, it, is it the word that that's... Does he not feel worthy? Does he feel embarrassed to be yeah, is, talked is about it, in the is, same... Is, yeah, that's right. Is, is it the respect he has for the man? I don't know. I pro- maybe. It's I funny because, yeah, I mean, he's such a bundle of contradictions as well because... You know, the start of Cavendish's career, there was a famous incident to California where he caught Mario Cipollini in a time trial and went past him one-legged. You know, he took his, his foot out the out the clips and went past one-legged. And that was not a mark of respect. Um, he, he's just, he is a bundle of contradictions. And that's what makes him so interesting, I think. Shall we hear from a couple of his De Koenig quick-step teammates? Casper um, Askreen was in that early move today and uh, you know he's always got an important role to play in uh, just applying some speed in the closing stages so um, Tour of Flanders winner this year of course let's hear first from Kasper Askreen and then from Camdish leadout man Michael Morkov best leadout man in the world who's not actually let him out for the two stages that he's yeah, won yeah. although he has done a he's done a really important job and he's almost a, a kind of leadout man mentor calm head when you see he talked the other day about what different personalities they are Cavendish is you know so emotional so explosive Markov is just completely opposite he's serene and I look at Markov and I imagine that his heart is beating at about 25 beats per minute you know he's icy cool whereas Cavendish is just about to explode. He's a hot head. He is a hot head, and, and, and Morkov is the cool head that he needs in the closing stages of this of, of a stage. So here first is Kasper Askreen, and then we'll hear from Michael Morkov. And then we'll hear from Lionel Burney. So you up in the, the breakaway early. Was that um, just a case of policing that move? Yeah, exactly. It uh, wasn't on purpose. It was just uh, Alpacine was one of our, uh, let's say, marked uh, teams, and... Uh, Jonas Ricard uh, jumped in there, and uh, then I then I jumped uh, jumped behind him, and then yeah, all of a sudden we had 30 seconds. And uh, it was surprising to see some of the riders who were there having a go today. Maybe when tomorrow's perhaps a day that would suit suit the likes of you as well a bit better. Yeah, I was uh, quite surprised as well, to be honest. Uh, I didn't expect uh, such such strong riders to go for today's stage uh, with with uh, with what's coming up tomorrow. And the finale there, um, obviously, Mark won again. Uh, but did it go pretty much according to plan for the team? Well, I swung off around 2k to go. Uh, until then, yeah, uh, Breakaway did a really, really strong final again. Uh, as always here in the Tour, uh, there's no breakaways that's easy to catch. And uh, today uh, was the same. Uh, even though it's just two riders and they're out there on their own, they're they still among the 180 best riders in the world. Eh? So... Uh, it was difficult to catch them, and, and we had to, to burn a few uh, a few guys uh, a bit earlier than we wanted. But uh, yeah, we could keep our uh, 
our lead out intact with, uh, with Balladini and uh, Michael Mokov. So uh, that was good and, and uh, I think in the end it, it went uh, as it should. Are you surprised at Mark's sprinting here? I mean, he was perhaps it was a big surprise a couple of days ago. Maybe today not, not so much of a surprise. No, I'm not actually. Uh, after what we saw in, in uh, Tour of Belgium, uh, where he beat uh, Caleb and, and uh, all the other top sprinters. Uh, I was not surprised that uh, coming here he had the confidence and, and the speed uh, to do what he's doing now. You've worked with a lot of top sprinters. I mean, how well is Mark sprinting? Now, you said he's going as well as, as, as he's gone in the past, but you know, how does he compare with other sprinters you've worked with? I mean, he's probably the most experienced sprinter I ever worked with. Obviously, he, he won more than 150 races, so he is the most experienced sprinter around. Uh, he he's been sprinting for for more than a dec- decade uh, against all the best riders who've been here for for many years already. Uh, he has loads of experience himself, and, uh, and he also showed like today and the other day that he, he know how to to handle the sprint himself as well as well. Yeah, like now he shows that he's on the absolute highest level, uh, like he was in the past. Uh, it was amazing sprint he did today. Uh, I was also very impressed about the sprint he did the other day, so uh, I would say uh, that uh, he's back on his highest level. Do you keep a tally of how many uh, stage wins you've been involved with, you've had a hand in over the years, both at the Tour and in Grand Tours I mean, generally? Yeah. No, that's up to you to count. We'll have to go away and do our research, get on Pro Cycling stats. Shoot, uh, shoot at l'arrière du peloton, cycling podcast, team car, the back of the pack, please. That's Seb PK, the voice of Radio Tour, and this is Lionel Burney, here to tell you that this episode is sponsored by Curators of Craft. Curatorsofcraft.co.uk offer a fantastic, ever-changing selection of craft beers in a range of styles and strengths to suit every palate. But before I tell you more about them, hello Richard and Francois, congratulations on an excellent opening week. And hello Kate, we haven't met yet, but I've been really enjoying your perspective on your debut Tour de France. Now, one upside to me missing the first week is that I've been able to celebrate my birthday here at home. I'm not going to say how many candles were on my cake, but it was even more than Alejandro Valverde will have on his in four years' time. Seeing Mark Cavendish win in Chateau Roux has made me feel young again, or is it old? I'm really not sure. But it's been a lovely day. I spent it with the family. I watched the tour on TV this afternoon. The sun's shining, and now I'm relaxing with a celebratory beer from Curators of Craft. Kate and Graham, who started the company, are avid cyclists, big fans of the sport and listeners to the cycling podcast, so we were really happy when they said they'd like to sponsor a couple of shows. They love travel, and a big part of that for them is experiencing the food and drinks that different parts of the world offer. That's something I can really identify with, and it's that passion for discovery and desire to share what they've learned that has fired curators of craft. It's a really young company, started only late last year when Graham lost his job because of the pandemic, but they are up and running and they will deliver next day in the UK and to most of Europe. And if you live near them in the Calder Valley, they'll even deliver using a fleet of electric cargo bikes. Now they put together a box of beers that they thought I would like and they have not been wrong yet. A really delightful selection. They also sent a Curators of Craft beer glass, which is a lovely thing to drink from. They specialise in craft and Trappist beers and you can either select a case that they've put together or you can build your own from their ever-changing cast of beers. There's also a monthly subscription option and all of their packaging is 100% recyclable and recycled. Now, I have chosen for my birthday beer um, a beer called Tuya by Track, a Manchester-based brewery which was started in 2014 by Sam Dyson, who had just returned from a two-year cycling trip around the world. And he wanted to create some beers that would be perfect after a long day in the saddle. 
and this one i have to say fits the bill perfectly it's really really light it's really fruity without being overly sweet uh, if you know the the flavor that citra and mosaic hops will give you you'll have an idea of the type of flavor i'm talking about just light refreshing citrusy and Proving that craft beers don't all need to pack a hefty percentage, it's only 3% alcohol. So a really refreshing, light drink, perfect uh, before I have my birthday dinner with the family. Now, if you would like to see what curators of craft have to offer, go to the website or find them on social media. There's also a Tour de France discount code exclusively for podcast listeners. Use Tour15, that's Tour15, to get 15% off your first order over £40. There's free delivery for UK mainland orders and the website is curatorsofcraft.co.uk. So all it remains is to say cheers to Graham and Kate and cheers to Richard, Francois and Kate. Enjoy the rest of the week. Well, lovely to hear from Lionel Burney, wasn't <laughs> it? And uh, we'll, um, well, we'll, we'll pay our respects to Lionel at the end and we'll uh, hear from uh, some uh, significant people with birthday messages for Lionel at the end of the episode as well. Francois, you just came up with a fantastic metaphor. Yeah, I, I know my metaphors are far-fetched from time to time and maybe over the top, you know, as well. But uh, when we're discussing that and, uh, you know, here we're, we're in a nice little chateau, by the way, big chateaus, chateau, uh, in the countryside, we've seen lots of chateaux. On, if you've been watching TV, you've seen lots of the wonderful lots of chateaux. chateaus. Yeah, we, yeah we're, going, <laughs> we're going, you know, to we're, we're close to the Loire today. I mean, we and so we're in the Loire region, so the chateaus of the Loire. But yeah, it, it seemed to me that when you were mentioning, you know, uh, the, 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 the kind of the hotness of, uh, of uh, Cavendish and the coolness of Morkov, in a way, you know, Cav is the, the champagne bottle bubbling and re- really... Not the Cava. <laughs> not to cover, and 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 Morkov is the bucket with the ice cubes in. You know that that's that's a little bit. You, you, one doesn't go without the other. Otherwise, it doesn't really work. You're absolutely, that's perfect. That's absolutely perfect. And um, the other question today, uh, folks, was what was Greg Van Avermaet playing at? Um, not a stage that on paper looked like one for a breakaway, but Van Avermaet was had a bee in his bonnet today and when he was up the road he really committed to it and I imagine he's pretty sore tonight what was he doing Francois he's your, he's your favourite Greg yeah, Van Avermaet. I've always loved uh, Greg yeah I, I think obviously the the, the 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 stage for him was tomorrow's on oh, no it's not <laughs> <laughs> on paper so, so was he warming up for tomorrow's stage <laughs> who knows you maybe know? it was today was the Greg Van Avermaet training for the Olympic road race stage. Or, yeah. or or is he going for the green jersey or something and trying to win the intermediate sprints? I don't think so I mean, no, I think uh, no, I, I think he got he got himself involved, and 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 in the end, he said, you know, maybe. Well, my, my impression on that is that AG Tour or Citroen, that you know, that they, they've had a great sponsor this year, Citroen, which is really uh, even bigger than what they had uh, so far. But their results since the start of the season have been terrible. But apart from uh, you know Paris Peintre winning uh, on the, in, in well in in my hometown actually in Marseille at the beginning of the season, that they've done nothing at all. So you know maybe the the, the aim and and Greg Van Avermaet since he joined hasn't done much either. So. 
so maybe in the end, the, 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 the simple aim of the game was to show the jersey, as we say in France, mouiller le maillot, montrer le maillot, because you, you need, you know, to, you, these guys needed the aged Rossi trend jersey on TV. Uh, I can't think of any other explanation, to be honest. You know, you know how much I, I appreciate Greg Van Avermaet, how much I think of a great writer and, and a great guy he is. Uh, it's it's a it's a little and well it's a little bit like 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 Cav when he was not uh, doing well you know well, you 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 want so much more uh, from Greg Van Avermaet than go on on a lame breakaway hoping for what you know uh, hopefully he'll find his you know his, his space again his, his his momentum again his place yeah, yeah his place. Um, yeah, I mean, we're going to the Grand Bornon on Saturday where I think he held on to the yellow jersey when we were yeah, there absolutely. a couple of years ago. I mean, I, I don't know. I take a slightly different view on it that um, any opportunity in the Tour is an opportunity. And actually, Kasper Askreen earlier said that when you've got two guys up the road as strong as Kluge and Van Avermaet, it's always dangerous. And they never had much of a lead, but we don't know how hard they were riding. I said they were committed to it. They were committed to it, but they were also in charge to a certain extent because, as Askreen said, the peloton rides according to where the break is. And if they were smart, like, you know, De Gent told us the other day about the way that Brent Van Moore would have ridden when in the breakaway saving something, really conserving something for the end. You know, had they done the same, and they obviously did do the same today, then they gave them problems, and they only caught them pretty close to the finish, mm. you know? When you've got riders of that quality, there's there's always a chance if they've got a bit of a head start, and they and they, that's what they got oh, yeah, themselves. Yeah. It's it's nice to see guys, I mean... It was great to see riders well, yeah, of that calibre abso- abso- on abso- the attack Absolutely, today. and, and we, we've seen, as I said before, you know, breakaways succeed in the, in the Giro, the Dauphiné, and may, maybe you, you could hope for more, but the the... the Probably the most in, intriguing question to the, the, of the day, kind of secondary question to the, the, the question about Greven Avermaet being uh, up front, is why were Movistar chasing? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was a mo- uh, momento Movistar, you know, <laughs> a Movistar moment. Really, that's a really interesting question. I mean, the whole day you saw a parade of trains. Who were taking? You saw, you know, Alpeson at the front. You saw Movistar at the front for actually quite a significant amount of time. It's like, why were they working so hard? Uh, who are they gonna, you know? <laughs> who knows? Uh, and but but I actually think that you know, with with guys as strong as Kluga and Van Avermet, it was entirely possible that it could have stayed away. I mean, the peloton definitely controlled it, but like Casper Askreen said, it's like they had to work way harder and burn way more guys than they really wanted to. And, you know, this could perhaps be part of, like, a longer strategy that goes beyond this stage. I mean, think about Lada Sedal now, now without Caleb Ewan. They're now basically a breakaway team. Anytime you can tire out the bunch benefits them in some way. So it's an interesting strategic question, like, why? But maybe we're thinking in the short term and not the long term. Very good point. Maybe we'll see Thomas again up the road tomorrow or Brent Van Moore again. Um, I spoke to Roger Kluger at the finish um, to find out what his thoughts were in that move with Greg Van Avermaet. I mean, that was a huge day out that you and Greg had today. I guess that was kind of unexpected. Luckily, it was still a short stage, yeah. So when uh, and I was not in the first break. Break did already the, the big effort before to yeah try to break away with those other strong guys, and uh, so he started definitely in the red zone more in the red zone than me I actually kept it quite uh, yeah, below that yeah I would wish that we, we would have also some more company but um, yeah it was not like this what was in your thoughts when you were away the two of you I mean was it just a case of we're here we're, we might as well commit to it yeah sure I mean um, 
what else can you do? So um, we just uh, try to find a good rhythm, um, split the split the work. Yeah, try to, to save a little bit for the final. Just try to solo pace and. Uh, if we go slower, normally the bunch also goes slow because they didn't want to catch us too early. So uh, there you can play a little bit, but in the end, you know, they they will not wait anymore. And then, uh, yeah, we, we give it a try. I think put a hammer down with like 20k to go. And um, yeah, we still kept uh, kept it quite long or came quite far in the final. Speaking to Kasper Askin, you did give them a bit of a scare, I think. Um, you're in a team of sort of breakaway specialists, aren't you? Uh, yeah, from, from, from now on maybe. Before we were <laughs> a lead-out train, uh, a team for a sprinter. But yeah, everybody from us uh, is, is quite a quite a strong rider and then will have his chance in the breakaway. And uh, from now on, uh, not from now on, from, from the day we, we lost Caleb, uh, we will try every day to, to be in the break. And uh, yeah, maybe one of us or hopefully one of us will get a chance to to win it now we were already two times well, quite quite close uh, even we knew it's it's almost un- impossible in a, in a day like this for the sprinters but tomorrow is uh, another chance another day i think a pretty high chance for the breakaway because it's not uh, the final doesn't suit the pure sprinters there's still a few teams maybe with with the interest to to go for the stage but yeah i think we you will see us up again there in the break Science in Sport is supporting the cycling podcast at the 2021 Tour de France. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Thank you very much indeed to Science in Sport for supporting the cycling podcast. Um, We had a message from the chief executive, keen listener to the podcast, Stephen Moon. Big fan of Kate on the podcast, so that's another one, Kate, another one. And if you want 25% off all your science and sport stuff, um, the best sports nutrition products in the world, go to scienceandsport.com and at the checkout enter the code SISCP25. We're also running a competition in conjunction with Science and Sport to win every Sunday, Super Sunday with Science and Sport, £80 worth of Science and Sport goodies. Uh, go to thecyclingpodcast.com and you can... Uh, you can enter the competition to predict the winner of Sunday's stage. Sunday, of course, is teen. Now, we'll hear, we'll hear from Simon Yates a bit later on, and he, he may well have won in teen uh, a couple of years ago, the famous stage that was uh, cut short, of course. He was away with Egan Bernal that day. Um, before we go on, we just had a, a, an audio diary come in from Connor Swift of Arkea Samsic. Uh, that will feature in full in the, in the next kilometer zero. That features the audio diaries from our four diarists, but let's just hear the, the start of Connor's diary. Quick recap of uh, the past two stages. Obviously, <laughs> yesterday we had the time trial and, uh, yeah, I've got to say, I, I went out there, did it pretty hard just to see see where I am at this, at this level. And, um, yeah, looks like not very good. <laughs> I can't believe uh, the times that some of the guys uh, did yesterday and... Uh, the extra power and you know needed to uh, even be in the top twenty. It's uh, ridiculous. Um, Connor Swift, their flavour of his next diary entry. I love his self-deprecation. It's fantastic, fantastically Yorkshire, actually. So Connor's a great diarist. He was great last year. He's been offering us great insights this year as well. They'll uh, feature in full in our Kilometer Zero series, also with Tim De Clerk. Um, Victor Campanarts and Ben O'Connor. We expect to see more of Ben O'Connor over the next week or so, of course. 
Francois, we are staying tonight at a beautiful chateau. This was originally booked because it's quite a special place, and it was booked originally because we assumed Lionel Bernie would be here, and it was his birthday night. So, um, well, we'll enjoy Lionel's birthday in his absence, won't we? Yeah, it's, 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 in French, we have a, a word called, an expression said, la vie de château, you know, the castle life, like you, like meaning you, the good life, you know. Uh, th- th- this place is, is, is one of the countless chateaus you have in the area. I have no idea about his, his, uh, its history, but I mean, uh, I'm standing next to an architecture specialist, and to me, it looks like a 19th century imitation of medieval, uh, of a medieval castle, sort of. Yeah, I would say it's a 19th century imitation of French Renaissance architecture. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, agree. Uh, I was looking at the drawings because it's actually interesting. They have the uh, elevations of the chateau and some of the some of the sections too in frames throughout the hallway, and uh, it's fascinating because I mean those are definitely 19th century drawings. Like, make no mistake, if they were earlier, if they were actually Renaissance drawings, they would be pretty decrepit. <laughs> yeah, the, the balustrade is, is is really concrete stuff. I mean, but uh, but it's a nice chateau. It it's beautiful, have, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's might might have been, you know, who knows in the medieval uh, ages a, a, a different chateau, but I, I mean there we are. Uh, talking of chateaus, uh because it's actually, I'm Chateau uh, Francois, uh, the plural of Chateau is, is Chateau. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Corrections well, Corner. Uh, actually, well, it's not the word. It could be the word of the day, Chateau, if you want. I mean, you know. Okay, let's go for the word uh, Ch- Chateau. Um, it, it's it's always amazed me that, that it's a word that that's that's stood in. It's always also used in English. You know, L- like French castle might be different from from you know other sh- other castles when when actually. A chateau is just a castle, you know. Uh, and about the plural, there's some heavy breathing coming through here. It's a dog. <laughs> I, I should say there's a very heavy breathing dog being uh, paraded past us repeatedly and quite and, annoying. And uh, and about and about the plural of chateau. Uh, I mean, in French, plurals are never. Uh, you, we put s's at the end of, of of words like you do, but we, we don't pronounce them. And and then the, at the end of, a, of certain uh, vowels, uh, like uh, you know, but, uh, you, mo- most I mean, most of the song, most of the time, use we we don't put an s at the end. We put an x. So so chateau, <laughs> the plural of chateau is chateau with an x at the end. So if you really w- would like to put something at the end of, a, of, of of several chateaux, you should put an X and call them chateaux, I suppose. Uh, and and if, if you if you meet one day a couple of Tomazos, I guess you you should call them Tomazox because that's the way we do it in French. Um, anything to say about Chateau Ken, I'm sure you do. Of course. Well it's so funny to me because in America we have a sort of subgenre of early 20th century revival architecture called the Chateauesque style, which is basically Americans in like the 1920s uh, imitating Chateau from France, either from the 19th century or from the actual Renaissance. So it's it's really actually quite interesting for me to be here at an actual revival Chateau. Been very chuffed, as, as, as uh, you guys would say. Uh, to see all of the fascinating architectural details, and um, I took a bunch of pictures. Very exciting day for me, actually. <laughs> so, as we are talking of chateaus, there, there was one chateau on on the stage today between two and chateau that that really attracted uh, you know attention. I've seen lots of tweets by you know fellow 
journalists following the, the, the race about the, the Chateau de Valencé. And uh, since we have a cheese of the day, well, believe it or not, but Valencé is the name of a cheese because the town of Valencé, uh, well, they make uh, a famous, a very famous goat's cheese uh, made from raw milk from Barry, where the, the name of the place, the area is Barry, like Chuck Barry. Uh, <laughs> And and Valencé uh, Valencé cheese is famous is famous for its you know it's 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 in the shape of a, of a pyramid you know and the, and and so there is a story the the Chateau de Valencé was actually owned by by one of the most fascinating politicians in the history of France called Talleyrand and this man was the the, the foreign minister. Uh, you know, for, for almost all his life, all his other life, he started with the kings, and the, the the revolution came, and he was still there. And then all the kings, and and then Bonaparte came, the empire came. And he, he stayed in he stayed in charge for for all these years because he was the undisputable head of French diplomacy. He, he was you know he was also an ambassador in 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 Britain at some stage. He was trying you know in his age. Uh, so the, the early 19th century and late 18th century, he was trying to build some kind of Europe, you know, if it brings memories to you guys, you know, when uh, you were part of it. But oh, yeah, uh, that come, it's all coming <laughs> back to me now. And 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 so apparently, when uh, Talleyrand was the, was the foreign uh, minister for Napoleon Bonaparte for, uh, during the the, the uh, empire, Napoleon came to have dinner at the Valencé Castle and of course he was offered Valencé cheese and and the story or the legend has it that at that time the the pyramid was a full pyramid with with you know at the the the, the, the top of it the, the the top end of it was like a pyramid it was you know and but to avoid reminding Napoleon of his defeats in Egypt and that when when he came to he went to the pyramids and said you know from the those pyramids 30 centuries contemplators or whatever he said uh, the, it, the, 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 the the top of the of the pyramid was chopped a bit and these days the the the, the, the cheese retained that shape it's not a full pyramid the the, the, the the top of it is kind of cut off and it's got a little like like a little roof and so the, the story is that no well, this was cut off you you know the top of the pyramid to to avoid reminding Napoleon of his Egyptian, um, you know, ooze. So there you are. Well, folks, I'm looking forward to tomorrow's stage. It's mm. an interesting one, isn't it? Uh, it's a classic length um, stage, and it's a kind of classic profile. Very tough finale. Definitely a, a breakaway stage, and we could see some big riders up there. And I, I you know, just just a, a cracking stage, almost. I don't think it's going to have any impact on GC, but just as a, as a race in its own right, it should be very interesting. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it's also interesting that some, like I said earlier, some writers are already thinking about just protecting their GC guys or maybe helping them out, like Edith Skelling, who's been in the break. He said he would not be in the break tomorrow, despite that there are, I think, a few King of the Mountains points on offer. So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, definitely you got to watch out, I guess, for the likes of the classics guys, you know, Casper Askreen, Walf and Art. I mean, could be Peter Sagan, could be a day for the big guns. In the same time, uh, as you said, you mentioned Nita Skelling. Obviously, I mean, if, if what he said is true, the polka dot jersey is going to change hands tomorrow because there are quite a few points to be uh, taken. And 
uh, watch out for the, the signal Duchon. That's the one, the main climb of the day, uh, not too far from the finish. Uh, it's a second category climb. It's, a, it's kind of a big rock made of uh, granite, and uh, it's, it's really apparently a, a very you know uh, hard. Um, climb. It's called the Pearl of the Morvan. Morvan being the the, the area. Everybody's looking forward to to, to that climb because uh, so w what is going to be the strategy? Uh, is there going to be an early breakaway to be the first to tackle this, or will the, the, the will some even GC action taking place? You know, on the flanks of the uh, Signal Duchamp. Uh, who knows? I mean, but uh, but th this is one of the. It's going to be a good introduction to the Alps, who are, you know, that are coming pretty pretty soon afterwards. And yeah, fascinating. Who you know what? Who is going to go for it tomorrow? Long stage, long as I said, the longest in in twenty years. Will be will also be in uh, in in the, in in the, in Jean Francois Bernard's territory. I mean, maybe his son. Julian Bernard. Julian Bernard will, will be on home terrain, knowing exactly where he's going. They're going to the, the the race is going like five, well, not even nothing, two or three k's from the, from their home. So uh, yeah, Julian we Bernard. We could see a, a few bit. guys who are you know targeting Olympic road race. Even who knows? I don't know. I, I've heard Wout van Aert even suggest that it might it might be a, a bunch finish tomorrow. Could that it be. might not be a breakaway. So so who knows? Who knows? I'm looking forward to it. Um, before we go tonight, who did you say there? Jasper Stuyven. Well, Trek Segafredo have not done much or impressed very much yet in this year's tour, so they've got to do something. Before we go, um, we've got to wish Lionel Bernie happy birthday. We'll play out with happy birthday, of course, of course led by Kate. Yeah. Song of the day. But we have to hear some messages from people who I just random people I managed to grab at the tour to wish Lionel happy birthday. Not, not that random. The first one is, uh, well... It, this sort of a, is an homage to Lionel's fern, finest journalistic moment when he coined the, the nickname for Simon Yates at the Giro a few years ago. Happy birthday, Lionel, from the Flying Black Pudding. Simon Yates there, <laughs> self-identifying as the Flying Black Pudding. Fantastic. I remember we got some stick at the time, this was in 2018, for not respecting Simon Yates for calling him the Flying Black Pudding. Uh, but there, there he is, acknowledging himself as a flying black pudding and wishing Lionel a happy birthday. Absolutely wonderful. That will make his day, I'm sure. Shall we hear from a few more friends of the podcast? Lionel, I hope you recognise this voice. If you don't, it's me, Adam Blythe. Many happy returns, mate, on your birthday. I hope you have a lovely day. Enjoy a nice bottle of wine or two, um, or three, who knows. But yeah, happy birthday and enjoy yourself. Here's to getting old. Duh. <laughs> Hey Lionel, it's Matthew White here. Happy birthday. Hi Lionel, Renat here. Um, a really happy birthday to you and I hope next time I get to beat you again at darts. Enjoy, have a good one. Lovely tributes there to Lionel. I'm sure we all, we all wish Lionel a happy birthday. And he's joining us, of course, next week at the Tour de France on Tuesday. Look forward to that. We're going to play out with uh, a song. Kate, take it away. Oh my God, on the spot. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Lionel. Happy birthday to you.